Greetings and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study Parashat Shavuah over the course of six segments, one per day during the week that that parasha is read. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom and it's my privilege to be studying the second half of Sefer Shemot with you. And we are now in our fifth segment of Parshat Yitro, perhaps the most significant segment we'll do in the entire series, which is Aseret HaDibrot, Perek Chaf, and according to our counting, the uh, first 14 Sukim, in some it's the 15 Sukim, divided as they are. Um, and this presentation of Revelation, of course, has the very famous parallel in Sefer Dvarim, Perakeh, which we will look at relatively briefly, because we'll leave the full analysis till we get to Sefer Dvarim. But we will uh, we will look at it and uh, compare and contrast. Uh, in the meantime, if we recall from the end of Perak Yod Tet, Moshe has gone up and down the mountain several times, and finally at the end of the presentation, Vayered Moshe La'am, Vayered Moshe comes down and tells them, evidently regarding. God's warning to separate from the mountain and not to go up, and to wait until the concluding sound of the shofar to come up. And then we have the following, Now, Hashem spoke all of these words, saying the following, and now the question is, is this now referring back to the previous pasuk, which means Moshe came down and said, this is what Hashem said, which means B'nai Yisrael are not hearing this directly from Hashem, or is this now something new, which is that Moshe came down and told the people about separation from the mountain, and now Hashem speaks to all of them. As we'll see in the final podcast on Yitro, the evidence seems to support the idea that this is something heard by all the people, or at least some of it is heard by all of the people, as we will see. Well, let's see what these words are. Now, the Aserita Dibrot themselves which a literal translation is the ten utterances, or the ten statements, and hence the Greek word dekalog, dekalogos, is not ten commandments. It is somewhere between 13 and 15 commandments, depending on how you count them, and we'll take a look at some of the details as we come along, uh, because there the ten statements, which are identified as ten statements, several times in the uh, Chumash itself, Aseratad Devarim, and the rabbinic uh, parlance, Aseratad Dibrot, um, are ten separate utterances which are broke up, broken up in our Masoretic text into ten paragraphs. That leads to the following interesting uh, bifurcation in the way that they are read in some synagogues. So we have the general uh, usage of Ta'ameh Mikra, the trope marks, which guide not only our cantillation, but more critically our punctuation of the verse that we use throughout Tanakh. And the system of Ta'ameh Mikra that we employ in 21 of the 24 books of Tanakh, and a little bit of of the 22nd book, that is all books except for Tehillim and Mishlei and the middle part of Eov, the bulk of Yov, um, are consistent tamim where each mark serves the same syntactical and cantillational purpose, uh, even though the tune may be slightly different from book to book. Uh, we have a unique system that appears in the Aserta de Brot in which there are two uh, systems of tamim which overlay. Uh, such a phenomenon exists uh, in one pasuk in, uh, in Breshit, um, in Paraklamid Hay in the story of Bilhan Ruvain. Uh, but here it appears throughout the entire Sarata de Brot and it works as follows. If we look at the fifteen Psukim as Psukim, 
then each pasuk has its own syntax uh, and, and parsing, which means that the pasuk ends with a self pasuk, and somewhere in the middle of the pasuk there is an etnachta, and the phrases are 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 um, are parsed accordingly. If, on the other hand, we look at the dibrot as utterances, then we have another set of ta'amim which identifies the entire dibra or diber as one unit and that means there's a very long in some cases uh, half of a sentence with an nachta and all sorts of other ta'amim in there and in uh, in Ashkenazi Batekneset for instance the custom is to read the ta'am elyon which is the ta'am which covers the entire diber as one pasuk uh, certainly on Shavuot and also in most synagogues to read it that way on Parshat Yitro and ta'am tachton is really used for purposes of study uh, other places have other minhagim where it's only read Tam Elyon on Shavuot and on Parshat Yitro it's read as Tam Tachton. Of course, an interesting thing is that we have the same thing in Parshat Vatchanan, Tam Elyon and Tam Tachton. And the curiosity is that the Aserat brought in Vatchanan are only read once a year. So the question is, which system are you using and then what's the purpose of the other system? That's for a different context and a different shi'or. In any case, the Aserat brought begin as follows. Anochi now, even though in the Masoretic text, this sits together with the next Dibra, which will lead to a curious alternative as far as the breakdown of the Dibrot, uh, nonetheless, uh, many uh, suggest that it be read uh, independently, as far as the Ta'amim go, so that Anochi Adonai Lacha break, and the end of that Pasuk. What does that mean? I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of Avadim, of slavery or the house of bondage. As a parenthetic note, you find that consistently throughout Tanakh, when referring to Mitzrayim, it's not just Avdut, it's Beit Avadim, and this may be an allusion to the fact that that Egypt is all about houses, indeed the name Paro, which is the title for the emperor, the king of Egypt, actually means big house, Paro in Egyptian, so there may be a connection to that, and other connections to the um, the Korban HaPesach, which was eaten in the Batim, the uh, slaves that were brought into the Batim were saved from Parad, etc., a constant emphasis on houses in Mitzrayim. In any case, what is the statement? Is the statement a mitzvah? Is it an independent commandment? Or is it an introduction? Most Rishonim read this as a mitzvah. And Rambam, in his Sefer Mitzvot, counts this as the first mitzvah, the mitzvah to know that there is a God. And that's from this pasuk. Abravanel, on the other hand, says this is not a mitzvah at all. It's an introductory statement to the rest of the Dibrot. And the Dibrot continue. Lo yalachai al panai. And again, even though everything from the beginning of the Aserat to this point is all one Masoretic paragraph, it is traditionally broken into two Dibrot, the Dibar of Anochi and the Dibar of Lo Yelacha, and Chazal referred to them that way, when Chazal point out, for instance, a very famous drasha, that up until this point, where we got up to, Mitzvotai, the, the Dibrot are presented in the second person. 
I am Hashem, your God. I took you out. It's a first and second person dialogue. Not exactly a dialogue, but Hashem's presentation is, I'm speaking to you. And from that point on, as we'll see, Hashem is referred to in the third person. And that's what leads Chazal to say that we heard the first two debrot directly from Hashem, and the rest of them from Moshe, and the famous Drashav, Torah Tzivan Moshe, and Makot Tav Chavtawad. Um, and, uh, and the... Uh, the sense here is that these first debrot, Hashem is speaking directly to us, and therefore saying, you shall have no other gods before me. And picking up from that, it goes into the third person, referring to Hashem, as in, in the third person. Uh, and so what is it that's being stated here? You shall have no other gods in front of me. Uh, which halachically translates into not believing in any other supernatural powers or in any other gods. It's not talking about worship, it's about belief. Um, and that's the way halachically it's translated. Um, <clears throat> what is Elohim Acherim? So the Midrash famously, they are Elohim who behave like their Acherim to their worshippers because their worshippers are never answered by them. But the simple sense is other gods, not me, but other gods. You shall know other gods al-panai, in front of me. And the sense of this is one, excuse me for saying so, but sounds like one of jealousy. Don't have any other gods in my presence. And my presence, of course, is everywhere. And then there's a further move on the issue of Avodah foreign worship, which is lo do not make a statue or a sculpture, v'chol or an image, asher in the heavens above. So, the the reading of this is a little bit awkward, so the way we should understand it is a, scu- a sculpted piece or an image of something that is in the heavens above, meaning stars or other heavenly bodies. Vasher ba'aretz mitachat, or anything on the earth. Vasher ba'aretz, or anything in the water below the earth. And this is an interesting take from Makot Mitzrayim, which started with the water and those things that were in the earth, then the next three makot were things on the earth, and the final three things were things up in the heaven. So there seems to be a sort of a correlative response to those three. Now, this is a separate isur, a separate prohibition. Well, the first one in Lo is one of not believing in other gods. And in this next part of the dibur, of the dibra, it is the prohibition of making some sort of an image representing any of those things in nature, as it were, uh, but seemingly for purposes of worship. And that would mean that if somebody were to uh, make such an image and not to worship it, not to believe in it, they would still be in violation. And now, You shall not bow down to prostrate yourself to them to them being other gods, whether in these images or not, Veloto of them, and don't worship them. Now, up until there are the prohibitions, and you'll notice that there are four prohibitions, three of which are distinct, and two, uh, three of which are distinct, and the third one has two parts to it. The first one is one of belief. Do not have any other gods in front of me, which may be seen as a clause, a general statement, then in, in uh, covering the rest, but Rambam and others in, in their Sifra Mitzvot consider that a separate prohibition of believing in other gods. And it correlates then with Anochi Adonai Racha as you must believe in the one true God and you may not believe in any other gods. Then there's a separate prohibition of manufacturing Id- idols and icons. And then there's a third prohibition, which is prostrating or worshipping. And halachically, the way it's translated is Lotish means to not bow. And from there, we 
we infer those worship acts which are special and uh, commanded vis-a-vis God in the Mikdash are acts that are specifically prohibited towards any other God regardless of where whether that is a regular worship act for that God. So Lotish Tachavalahem would mean you're not allowed to bow down. Bowing is one of the four avodot, the four worship acts that are unique to, to God. Um, and uh, and you were, even if you were to do that in front of an idol or to a god who is not normally worshipped that way, you would still be in violation. And lota of day means don't worship them, which halachically is translated into any worship act which is a worship act for that God, even though it's not something that you would do for Hashem. And the example that Chachamim like to give is, uh, is throwing a rock at Mercury. And Marculis. Um, actually, the, the Roman practice was that Mercury, who was the god of travel, there were statues of Mercury on the road, and someone as an act of obeisance or an act of worship uh, or adulation would put a rock at his feet. And so throwing a rock was a sort of brutal way of describing that. But even though that's not something we do for Hashem, doing it for Mercury is considered an avodah because if for Mercury it is. If you were to do that for another god, it wouldn't be an avodah and you would not be liable uh, and in violation of avodah zarah because it's neither a worship act for that god nor is it something that belongs to Hashem. So lotish dachavel envelota of dame ends up encompassing as follows. Any of the four avodot, etc., that belong to God, then those are if those are done for any other God, whether or not they are the normal worship of that God, you're liable. And lota of any worship act which is a worship act for that God, and you participate in it, you're also liable regardless of its relationship to avodat Hashem. But what you notice here is that we already have either four or five mitzvot in these first two dibrot. And that is either the, the mitzvah to believe in God, in God, whether that's a mitzvah or not, the machloket. And then these four, which everyone is on board saying that we have four distinct mitzvot here, uh, or four prohibitions of um, uh, regarding um, avodah zarat. And, uh, and so as a result, talking about Ten Commandments again is really a misnomer. Uh, notice here that this, um, this mitzvah, along with two others accompany is accompanied by a reason however the reason here really is only matched by one other uh, in in the way that it's presented and what's the reason ki anochi el kana because i am hashem your god a jealous god it's an interesting thing that paganism is very tolerant paganism says you worship this god worship that god worship all sorts of other gods and among them the god that we're promoting uh, monotheism, almost by definition, is quite exclusive, and Hashem is presented as a jealous God in the sense that there is no syncretism. You can't worship Hashem and worship something else at the same time. Famous story of Eliyahu on Harakamel and Perak Yodchet of Malachim Aleph. And I am Hashem, who is Elkanah, Pokein Avon Avot Albanim Al Shilishim Vialri Bayim. I remember the sins of fathers on their sons for the third and fourth generation. And this is something that's only mentioned, Lissonai, for those who hate me. It's something that's only mentioned in the context of Avodah Zarah. If somebody does Avodah Zarah, that sin it, is held against the next few generations. Chachamim were very bothered by this statement because 
famously in Yechezkel Yudchet, if somebody is a sinner, is a terrible person, and his son is a tzaddik, Yechezkel says, no more will people have the motto that the fathers ate sour grapes and the son's teeth are set on edge, but rather each person soars on his own wings and, and drowns in his own sin, and therefore, if the son is a tzaddik, he will not be uh, held liable for his father's sins. So the way the Chazal um, reconcile that is that if a person continues in the bad behavior of their parents, then they don't have the excuse of saying, that's all I knew, it's held against you. If a person, however, acts independently, then each person dies for his own sin or rides on his own merit. And the back half of that is I do kindness for thousands, in the sense is thousands of generations, as opposed to Shelishim Vel Rebeim, Liohavai Ushome Mitzvotai, who are Ohavai, Ohavai is the opposite of Sonai. So those who hate me, and they hate me by worshiping other gods. Those who love me, they love me by worshiping only me. And who is Ohavi? So the only person that we really find as an individual who's described that way in Tanakh is Avraham. And Avraham famously is the one who declares one God, and the Avraham is the one who, who battles against paganism, certainly in the Midrash, but also, as we can see, his declaring Hashem uh, at his various Mizbachot. Those who keep the Mitzvot. So it's not enough to be someone who who loves Hashem, it also has to be someone who observes the commands of Hashem in order to be uh, to have this chesed continue to multiple generations. So the notion of zuchut avot, merit of ancestors, uh, standing in good stead for their children, is introduced here. And the and so one could argue that we have one long deber here, uh, and the deber, the content of the deber, really is is uh, is exclusive worship of Hashem. And um, and what what militates in favor of that is the fact that it is again one Masoretic paragraph. So if you look in a Sefer Torah, there's no break between Anochi and Lo Yelacha. Uh, famously in synagogue art, uh, Anochi is number one and Lo Yelacha is number two, which will actually leave us a little bit of a problem when we get to nine and ten, because we do know that these are ten utterances. So what's the next utterance, which is either number two or number three? And now Hashem has, if you will, receded into the third person. Do not bear the name of Hashem your God in vain. And this uh, halachically is understood to refer to a vain oath. That if somebody takes an oath using Hashem's name and uh, tries to confirm that which is known to be false or proves to be false and it's deliberate, then he is guilty. And what's the reason now? Now I mentioned in the previous Deber that the word key shows up in three places here. Um, and that is to give an explanation uh, to the to the earlier part of the Deber because but in two of the cases it works in one way and the third it works a different way in two of them it works as this is your motivation for doing it this is the stern warning and we already saw one which is Hashem will not forgive and Hashem uh, bears the sins of the parents to the next uh, few generations and that's why you need to really be careful to avoid Avodah Zarah and here we have the same thing when it comes to taking Hashem's name in vain Hashem will not cleanse, in a sense will not forgive anyone who bears his name in vain. So those two are sort of matched in that the second half of the Diber, in this case one Pasuk, 
um, the second half of that pasuk uh, explains the strong motivation for being careful about this prohibition because the consequences are so dire. Momentarily, we will see the the other example of key used in a different context, and that is the very famous diber about Shabbat, which again in, traditionally is the fourth diber, but then again it could be the third. Zachor et Yom Shabbat show. We'll read through the whole diber and translate. So here we have uh, four Psukim. The first Pasuk, very quick command. So remember the day of Shabbat in order to sanctify it. And by the way, this is the first mitzvah say that appears, unless Anochi Hashem is one. And not only that, but it is the first one which is asking you to do something, which is, remember it in order to sanctify it. Halachically, we interpret that as the mitzvah of Kiddush on Friday night. Uh, the Rambam says also Havdalah on Saturday night. You are to work for six days. Do all of your work in six days. But the seventh day is a Shabbat, a day of rest, a day of not working, to, that belongs to Hashem. So in other words, you do all your work in six days. On the seventh day, don't do any manner of malacha. Who? Ata. So you, who are the male head of household, who's being addressed here, as we can see. Your son and daughter. Your slave and your slave girl. And this means non-Jewish slaves that you may own at some point. Are, you're not allowed to have them work on Shabbat because if they're Jewish, they're commanded themselves. Even your animals may not work on Shabbat. Even the stranger who's within your gates. And whether this is referring to, in some sense, the Ger Toshav, or whether in some sense a Ger Tzedek, it's the stranger that's within your gates. Why? And now we have a different kind of key. This key is not... Uh, giving a motivation to do it, but rather the reason for this mitzvah. In six days, God made heaven and earth, at the Yam and the sea, and all that's in it, and notice the evocation. Shamaim Aretz and Yam, going back to the Diber about Avodah in the same order, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Hashem Beirach v'Kidesh. Hashem blessed this day and made it holy. And notice how the Diber starts. How does it end? A perfect inclusio of Kiddush of the day. Uh, and um, where is it that we find this? We find it already in the very first uh, Psukim of the second chapter of Breshit. And, and here it's being uh, referred to uh, in in the in the text as the reason for Shabbat when we uh, assess the parallel debrot in Tvarim we're going to see a very different presentation we'll have to discuss that when we get to it and this is uh, is again either the third or the fourth deber but this is the only other long one besides for the one about regarding Avodah Zarah 
huge emphasis on Shabbat, but a huge emphasis also on all members of the household, including slaves, not doing work, which is going to lead us to the other explanation for Shabbat as given in the Debrot in Sefer Dvarim. We'll conclude, uh, we'll continue here with our Debrot, Kabed et avicha v'etimecha, so you have to honor your father and mother, and here we are given something that we're given in no other Deber, which is the reward. We are told in the Deber regarding Avodah Zarah and, and taking Hashem's name, the consequence. But here we're told the reward. What's the reward? So that you'll have a long life. On the land that Hashem gives you. So in other words, there's two things promised here. One is that you will live a long life if you honor your parents, but also that that long life will be in the land that Hashem promised uh, to give to you or that He's given to you and that you will not be exiled. Um, notice that uh, that in none of the rest of the Debrot are there either any uh, consequences given explicitly, nor are there any rewards given. These are all mitzvot lotah say that are given. And I read as follows, lotitzach, don't murder. Lotinaf, don't commit adultery. Now, lotitzach, we typically think of as number six, and lots of drashot that we love about the five on this side are ben adam l'makom, and these five are ben adam l'chaviro, but indeed, lotitzach may indeed be number five. Lotinaf, commit adultery. Lotigno, which means to steal, and halachically, it's understood from the context to refer to kidnapping, because all of the violations in Aserta de Brota, violations that carry the possibility of an execution of a capital crime, and therefore Lotigno must mean kidnapping. It's the only kind of theft that you could be executed for. Lotanevri achar eid shaker. Do not respond on your, to about regarding your friend with false testimony. This is an sort of perjury. And that also, you wonder how perjury could lead to the death penalty in the parashah Edim Zomim. If you are caught as an Eid Zomim, you are given the punishment that you are tried to wrongly um, testify and get your fellow convicted with, which could be a death penalty. And then we come to what is commonly known as the Tenth Commandment uh, in parlance, which is uh, Do not covet the house of your fellow. However, in a Masoretic text, this is a separate deber. So really, counting properly, this may be number nine. And then Do not covet your fellow's wife. His servant, his maidservant, his his ox, his donkey, or anything else that he owns. A prohibition against coveting. So again, we have two different models of how to count the debrot, um, and uh, that really isn't of any inherent consequence. Uh, we do know that we have aseret debrot, that's referenced several times in the Torah, aseret advarim, and we do come up with that count, but again, there's the traditional count where anochi is number one. We take a look at these debrot, and I have to ask the question, why these ten? Before we move to Sefer Dvarim, why these ten? And um, there has been lots of uh, lots of discussion over the millennia uh, about the significance of these particular ten, including maintaining that these ten are sort of the core principles of all of Jewish practice, and that any other mitzvah could somehow be mined from these. That's a little bit difficult, because there's no mention here whatsoever about Tumah tahara, about Korbanot, about uh, marital relations, except for the issue of, of Niuf, uh, about Kashrut, nothing even hinted to here, and these are large pieces of halacha 
that would be very hard to, to, to kind of anchor in these. Uh, and so there is another way to approach it, which is really based on what we're going to see in the very next Pasuk, which we'll get to in the final podcast. But that is that the people's response to this revelation was fear and was distance and was a request that Moshe go to get the rest of the laws and bring it to them because they were afraid, which means maybe we shouldn't look at these ten as being the important ten, important they certainly are, but rather the first ten. And that the divine intent really was to give many more laws to B'nai Yisrael, but because of the people's response that we hear in Sefer Devarim, Hashem confirmed and uh, encouraged, or was encouraged by, Therefore, he stopped at this point, and the rest of the mitzvot are given privately to Moshe to pass on to B'nai Yisrael. Why is it that, uh, that these would be the first things to say? Well, the first two are fairly obvious. So the first one is very obvious. It's an introduction of Hashem. And famously introduces himself, Asher Oseticha Meretzitzrayim. Ibn Ezra quotes Yudah uh, Levi as asking why it, is, why it is that Hashem doesn't introduce himself as, I am Hashem who... who um, created heaven and earth, a famous answer that what recreated the relationship of Elohecha is Yitzhak Mitzrayim, or Yitzhak Mitzrayim is something that they personally had just experienced, and therefore he spoke to them in those terms, but that the first presentation is that, and then regard for proper use of Hashem's name, now that they are in a breed, how to properly honor Hashem's name and not to misuse it. What follows from there is something that really relates very directly to their experience in Egypt, as we'll see when we take a look at the version of Sefer Dvarim, and that is Shabbat. And continuing on, the mitzvot relating to proper relationship to parents, to human life, to the sanctity of marriage, are the sort of the founding principles of any society that's going to work successfully, and topped off by what is assuredly the most difficult mitzvah here to understand, which is the Isur of coveting, and how that all plays out, uh, and how that becomes enforceable or actionable, um, and that really the intent was then to continue further with other mitzvot. In any case, those are the debrot that we have here in in uh, Parshat Shmot, in Parshat Yitro and Sefer Shmot. If we look at Sefer Dvarim Perakeh, we will see that Moshe is retelling to the next generation the story of Mamad Har Sinai, and in Perakeh, he retells that we came to Har Sinai, and Hashem spoke face to face with you, and I was the one standing between you and Hashem, uh, and you didn't come up to the mountain, all in confirming what we saw earlier in Nitro. And then he repeats the Aserata Dibrot. And there is a Midrashic strain that sees these Dibrot as different because, because we'll see that they're different, because they represent what was written on the second set of tablets. That is very difficult within the context of the text of Sefer, of, of Sefer Shmot. Because in Shmot Perak and Dalid, when Hashem tells Moshe to carve out stones on which to write the second tablets, Hashem says, I will write on the second Luchot what I wrote on the first Luchot which means the Luchot contain the exact same information, the first set that smashed and the second set that is intact contain the exact same words. So what are we to make of these Debrot? And so we'll take a look at it, we'll see where the differences are. In, in Dvarim, and it's worthwhile, if possible, to line them up opposite each other. Same exact thing. Same exact thing. 
Now in Shmot it was so so far it's all the same except the difference of and some of the differences are relatively minor in that way um, and here it's so the vabs here get added. And here we have a kriyotiv where it's written mitzvotai with a vav at the end, but we read mitzvotai. Uh, so, so we will not focus our attention on the differences between uh, the deber about avodah zarah with the fine differences. But uh, and the next pasuk lotisat shem adonai v'achal shav kolin achal adonai tasher yisat shmol shav is exactly what shows up in. Uh, in Shemot, but this is the one that's really fascinating. Shamor at Yom HaShabbat L'Kadshos. So the first thing is that instead of Zachor, it says Shamor. And here's where Chazal famously say Shamor v'Zachor, or Zachor v'Shamor b'Dibur Echad Nemru. That it's in uh, Gemara and in Shavuot, Shavuot, Dav Chaf, that Shamor and Zachor were said simultaneously. That no human mouth could say and no person could actually hear. And so essentially what we have is that the Dibrot that are recorded in Parshat Yitro represent half of what we heard and that the other half is recorded in the second version in Dvarim. In other words, it's all one experience. But since it was done, if familiar with old stereo technology, the right track and the left track, so we have the record of one track in in Shmot and the other track to fill in the picture in Dvarim. Uh, but then we have this odd phrase, which is, As Hashem commanded you. As Hashem commanded you is an odd phrase, because if what Moshe means to say here in his retelling is that Hashem already commanded this in the Aseret Dibrot, well, that's true about this entire picture. Why only in this Dibar and one other? So, the one, one, one understanding of Kashetzivcha, Kasher meaning in, uh, as Hashem commanded you, is that Hashem had actually commanded us about Shabbat earlier on, and He did at the Man. In the story of the Man, we're told not to go out on Shabbat and collect. So, it would mean that even at Har Sinai, there was a thread of, I've already commanded you about Shabbat, this is nothing new to you. Just these particular details might be, but the notion of Shabbat as a day of not doing work is not new to you. The Sforno has a beautiful explanation here. He says, Kasher doesn't mean as, but rather in the manner. In the manner that, I, that Hashem commanded you. And he refers us back to the Pasuk at Marah, where according to the Midrash, we were given the mitzvah of Shabbat, as already before the Man, right after crossing Yamsuf, where we're told, If you obey Hashem and you study all of His laws, etc., so the Sforno says that How are you to be Shomer? Shomer means to avoid doing a violation, which would be work. It doesn't mean just sit around and do nothing, but rather to use that time, that vacuum of of, uh, of work, and use it to fill it with uh, seeking out Hashem, studying Hashem's Torah and Tefillah, um, and that's the way in which it should be p- uh, properly fulfilled. Beautiful explanation. In any case, same as we had before. Same thing before. Again, same. Again, same. 
And here instead of Abdechama Matacha, it's Ve'abdechama Matacha, but that's going to be because of the next words, which actually are more. Vishorcha v'chamorcha v'chol b'hamtacha. Here it does, it's not suffi- sufficient to say all of your animals, but rather your oxen and your donkeys and kol b'hamtacha. And all of your, uh, all of your animals. V'gercha she'bishorcha. And the stranger that's in your gates. And now... We have an add-on piece that wasn't anywhere in the piece in Shemot. So that your slave and the slave girl should rest like you. That doesn't appear in Shemot. It's something that appears in, in Shemot. It does appear later in Shemot. Right? In Perakhaf Gimel, in the Pasha of the Moadim, but not in the Aserat Dibrot. But here, part of what the Mitzvah of Shabbat is, you should rest and make sure that everybody in your household is resting, so your slaves get to rest like you. Which seems to be a powerful statement about the experience of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. You know what it's like to be slaves. You may have slaves, but you have to treat them humanely and make sure that they also get a day of off, a day of, of not working. And now is the real big change. In Shmot, we read that the reason for the Tiber of Shabbat was because of creation. Here it's v'zacharta ki eben ha'yitav eretz Yitzrayim. Remember that you were a slave. V'yotziyacha Adonai v'racha misham b'yad chazakam z'ron tuya. Hashem took you out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Al-Kain, and this reminds us of the Al-Kain Berach in Shmot. Al-Kain sifcha Adonai v'racha v'asot yom ha-shabbat. Therefore God commanded you to do, to make, to celebrate this day of Shabbat. And we, so we notice here an entirely different theme, that Shabbat here is presented as a Zecha L'Tziat Mitzrayim, a commemoration of the Exodus, and an internalization of the experience of the Exodus, and to make sure that your slaves, indeed, have the day off, as opposed to what happens in Yitro. So for it to follow the model of Zachor V'Shamor, that would mean that both of these reasons were given simultaneously as the reason for Shabbat. And indeed, that's exactly how we view Shabbat, that Shabbat is a Zechel Masev Reshit and a Zechel Yitziat Mitzrayim. Both themes are explicitly mentioned in Kiddush Friday night, because Shabbat is a commemoration of creation, creation of the Exodus and the Ramban in his commentary here in Tvarim has a beautiful explanation. He says that Shabbat is there to, by, by us avoiding Malachan and Shabbat, we demonstrate that Hashem is the one who created the world and also we demonstrate that Hashem is the one who continues to be involved with the world. Bereshit is the story of Hashem creating at one point in time. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the story of Hashem continuing to have mastery and control over the world and that he manipulated nature in order to bring us out in the most magnificent way and that's what we are commemorating on Shabbat. And both themes and both ideas work simultaneously. One of them is expressed by the Zachor, the commemorative, the celebratory, and one of them by Shamor, which is the avoidance, the resting, the not doing work on Shabbat. Again, and now and this one is very difficult because where did Hashem command us to and this is what drives Chazal and the Midrash to say that we were commanded regarding Kibur Avaim at some point earlier in the desert before we got to our Sinai because here Moshe says because Moshe is not telling us something new in the 40th year here in Zvarim this is all Moshe repeating what was heard 39 years ago at Har Sinai. 
And now, what's the reason for kabbalat abicha? Uh, not the reason, but the motivation. The minor mecha, as we had earlier. This is an added piece, which is not only will you have a long life, but things will go good for you. Again, on the land that Hashem gives you. And here, the added component of lumani tavlach may uh, indeed be speaking to the new generation, because the new generation knows that they're about to go into the land. But the question is, what's the nature of that land? And they've already perhaps heard from their parents or themselves experienced the bitterness that came along with the complaints in the desert and the episode of the Tarim Ta'aretz, and perhaps that's why Moshe adds the Man Yitavlach. Notice here the vabs that connect, uh, as opposed to in Shmot, where they st- or stand alone. These seems to be a string of of behaviors to avoid. Notice, Eid Shav here, Eid Sheker in uh, in Sefer Shmot, because Shav and Sheker now are being equated. In other words, when you take an oath and you say something which is a lie, it's essentially a vain use of God's name. And then the last one is Notice, in Shmot is Here's Do not covet your friend's wife. And here, velotit aver, which is a synonym, lotachmod, beit reacha, flipped, sadeu v'avdova matov shorav chamarov v'chol asher reacha. So sadeu is added in here, and perhaps the reason um, for both this flip and the addition of sadeu is this is the people who are about to enter the land, and therefore beit reacha and sadeu are new ideas which kind of go together the house that you're going to build and the field and then Avdova all the things associated with the field and the personal component of Eshet Reacha then stands alone in Shmot where a house is far away from them the very first thing is that's going to come in time and then all the part of the household Ishto and Shorov Chamaro is perhaps more appropriate really in the generation that's standing at Har Sinai um, in the next and final podcast in Parshat Yitro, we'll take a look at the end of Parshat Yitro, sort of the conclusion of the of the uh, stand at Sinai. We should have a wonderful day.